Good evening and welcome to another episode of the Perceptive Podcast here on Game Wisdom, where we examine the art and science of games. I am Josh Beiser and we have another great cast for you tonight. We're going to be talking to two developers of the upcoming game, Dwarf. And at the time that you're listening to this, it should either be on or about to kick off a Kickstarter campaign for additional funding. So please welcome from Half Human Games, Percy and Peter. How are you guys doing? Hi, we're doing great. Hey, hey. It's great to have you on. And uh, for those of you listening, I did do a play of Dwarf during the Steam. I think this will be the Summer Festival. And I was enjoying what I saw, and you guys reached out. And it's always great to talk to developers, especially about the games and projects they're working on. Yeah, that's right. Well, we had our first kind of public demo during the Steam's Games Festival. And uh, thankfully, we got a lot of positive feedback on that. Mm-hmm. Yep, and we're going to be talking about Dwarf as well as the Kickstarter campaign throughout this cast. So to begin with, since this is both of your first times on, for the audience listening, can you talk a little bit about your respective backgrounds and what is Dwarf? So uh, Peter and I, we met back in college, actually, and we've kind of been making games together since then. Um, We studied game design and development, and right out of college, we made our we, we worked together on our first indie game. It was called Black Sea Odyssey, and it was a top-down space shooter. Mm-hmm. And that ended up being released on Steam and consoles. And then after that, we did some contract work for Artist Entertainment, and we got experience working on Adventure Quest 3D. And that's where we really we grew a lot as uh, developers. And then we decided, all right, let's go back and give another indie game a go. And that's when we began working on Dwarf. And since then, we've grown our team a little bit. So we, we also work with a composer and sound designer, Morty, and an artist, a pixel artist, uh, additional one into, uh, additional to Peter uh, Enche. So that's kind of where we are, a quick summary of, of Half Human Games. Okay. And how long have you guys kind of been in business for? Pretty much straight uh, after college. Um, we decided that that was the time to make the decision whether we were going to start our own studio or, you know, get jobs. <laughs> we definitely <laughs> we were on the mindset of we are going to start our own studio. And um, we, so since college, we've uh, we've been trying to make a successful indie game studio. The studio that we created Black Sea Odyssey with, even though PJ and I did work on that game, it was not a half-human um, games project. Dwarf will be the first uh, game being... Um, released under uh, this new brand name that we created, Half Human Games. And right. I believe it's been six years, maybe yeah. five. <laughs> Again, like, for people listening, like, time has no meaning when you're in game dev. You can oh, just say, yeah. oh, it'll only take, like, a year or two to finish, and then four or five years later, you're still working on it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think six years ago is when we first started, uh, you know, uh, doing uh, indie games. So Dwerve has probably been in development um, a little over two years. But while we were working on uh, Dwerv, we were working part-time at Artics Entertainment, and both of us uh, have quit Artics Entertainment since then to pursue Dwerv full-time. So this Kickstarter is actually very important to us because mm-hmm. we, don't have, um, we don't have some sort of um, other source of income. We are fully committed to this project and, and fully believe in it. All right. And for the people listening, what is kind of the elevator pitch for Dwerv? So, Dwarf is a tower defense dungeon crawler RPG where you play as a dwarven tinker that uses turrets and traps to fight. 
So you're not running around with axes and swords or shooting bows. It's all about strategy, tactical turret and trap placement. Um, which turrets do you place and where do you place them? <laughs> and from playing the game, I can pretty much tell that you guys are fans of the tower defense genre after playing Dwarf and <laughs> yes. getting around that. I guess what inspired to make this kind of mix of dungeon crawler meets tower defense meets a tactical game? So there is a bunch of inspirations, but if I had to trim it down, I, I would have to say it is The Legend of Zelda, you know, the, the old school ones like, like A Link to the Past, and it meets Dungeon Warfare, where Dungeon Warfare is a tower defense game with a lot of very fun and interesting traps that, you know, push people in the pits and, and shock them and shoot like chakrams that bounce off of walls. And we wanted those sorts of uh, turrets, but in a more, you know, RPG setting like Zelda. Um, and of course, there's there's other similar games that we drew inspiration from, like Dungeon Defenders and Orcs Must Die. Mm -hmm. And with the gameplay, and for those of you listening, we did show off the demo during the Summer Games. I think it's still available, or I think I played the version that you guys sent over. And from that demo, I guess... For the people listening, how much of like the game or how much of the gameplay loop is in Durv currently? Like they want to check it out. So most of it's there, especially when it comes to combat. So you you you, you experience a full battle um, with with multiple turrets. Um, a lot of the kind of extra stuff. <clears throat> a lot of the extra stuff is is still being developed. So for example, um, turret upgrades. Uh, we don't have those yet, but we we do we do plan to have them. Each turret is going to have their own upgrades, um, so you can kind of customize it how you like. But that's not in it. Um, we also need, we also have a little bit of like puzzly elements, but we want to have kind of more of that. And that's a, again that's a extra content. But in terms of the core game loot, uh, the demo pretty much represents what the game is going to be like and what the battle is going to be like and the sort of strategy that is going to be required to overcome kind of each area. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, one thing that I saw, I think, from like the Steam page, I wasn't sure if, I, if it was in the uh, demo itself, is the idea of upgrading tur upgrading your towers or your various traps. Is that, like, could you go a little bit more detail into, like, that aspect of the gameplay? So, yeah, so that's not in the demo yet, but that's mm -hmm. something we're really excited for. So each, each turret's going to have a small little upgrade tree with about five to seven upgrades maybe we haven't really decided on that yet but the idea of it is to kind of customize the gameplay of a turret to kind of cater to your own kind of strategies or play style so an easy example would be the crossbow turret so you know at its core it shoots arrows but you can upgrade it in a way so maybe you want strong arrows that pierce through multiple enemies but you know on the flip side it would shoot less free uh less frequently so it'd have slower attack speed um, the opposite of that would be if you had, like, let's say, a quick shooting crossbow turret that shot really, really quickly, and maybe you even had poison-tipped arrows, and that would be more for, like, softening a wave up before it reached, say, a melee tur turret, like the spin blade turret. So the point is you get to customize your turrets to really cater to your preferred strategies. And uh, one thing that I want to ask about kind of like the general tower defense gameplay, I guess for you guys, were you inspired by any like particular tower defense design? And what were some areas I guess you wanted to hit? Or and what did you want to like avoid in terms of the tower defense genre? So I think in terms of I think Dungeon Warfare, their turrets and traps are a big inspiration for our mm -hmm. game. They really capture what we want in our turrets. So they're very, I guess, tactile. So instead of like it being very stat based, we want like 
stuff to happen. Like we have a punch turret that literally punches the enemies and they go <laughs> flying backwards and they fall into the pits. Um, the chakram turret, it the, shoots a chakram and it bounces off the walls. Um, we, we also have uh, a Tesla turret which shocks enemies. So we wanted very visual stuff, very physics-based stuff, like just fun to look at and watch and feels really, really good. Um, now, in terms of what we didn't want, um, this is very different from traditional tower defense games, but we didn't want you to constantly build up your turrets. So mm-hmm. in a normal tower defense game, you build more and more turrets as you collect um, some sort of currency, and you're kind of, you know, at the end of a level, you'll have a ton of turrets uh, set up. Now, Dwarf is not about that. Dwarf is more about, like, quick thinking and adapting quickly. So you in Dwarf, you, have, you can place a limited number of, of turrets at a time, and so as the waves change, you need to recall those turrets so you get, so that you can place new ones um so you're constantly adapting and it's more you know strategizing uh, on the spot very quickly so it has an action like feel so it's not just like kind of slower paced observing it's more about okay how can i adapt to this very quickly mm-hmm. yeah dungeon warfare that was one of my favorites too i know the sequel is out now and yeah there's definitely a difference in terms of like the different philosophies of tower defense games so i guess here's a question for both of you do you guys like to use like wall and laning strategies, or do you prefer just like nuking and just utterly destroy enemies as quickly as you can? Oh boy, <laughs> uh, that, that, that's a tough one. I guess. I, I guess. Um, I know, I, I know I, PJ loves when massive swarms come at him yeah. and you can clear them. There's yeah, something was... very satisfying about a massive swarm coming and you manage to survive. Yeah, so I think I have to go with the nuking them, just like trying to just do a bunch of damage at once. <laughs> and yeah like for me i think i'm more of the laning i like to just have like these massive just mazes and just watch enemies struggle to get through them before they get to my <laughs> to the checkpoint there we and- really tried to make uh several enemies that will act differently forcing you to adapt so it'll be interesting to see people um have to switch up their strategy just because of a certain enemy type yeah cool. And going back to what you were saying uh, about like kind of different like play styles, like nuke them or the laning kind of thing. One thing we have is, uh, in general, I kind of refer to bo- like our, all of our our devices has turrets, but we actually have two types. There's turrets and traps. Mm-hmm. So turrets are like you know they're they're things that can be targeted by enemies and they have health. But on the flip side, you have floor traps, and the enemies walk over those. So the floor traps would cater more to your play style where, you know, you're walking over a bunch of spike traps um, or, or one of my favorite strategies actually in the game is you have a tar trap, which slows the <laughs> enemies and then they walk over the spike traps. So um, we have they get different types. A lot more, yeah. 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 So, <laughs> so you have turrets and traps to, to the traps specifically cater to more of what, what you're saying. And of course you can, you know, use both of them, but the, we, we really tried our best to cater to, to both play styles. Mm-hmm. And I think you are required. You make a tower defense game. You must have some kind of slowing tower or slowing mechanism. Yeah, or it doesn't right. feel right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We actually we actually have two. <laughs> we we have the the tar trap. So that one just slows you. And then we have the zap tap the zap trap. And that one stuns you. So that one also does a little bit of damage and it'll it'll keep you there in, in one place. And that that one's kind of preferable, I guess, to larger, um, big tankier enemies that you need to really just stop in their tracks. 
Mm-hmm. And going back to something like Dungeon Warfare for a second, like that kind of like tactical nature. And I think like for tower defense games, that definitely is a lot harder to do justice. And for those of you listening you know, who don't know what we're talking about, there are definitely like different schools of thought when it comes to tower defense gameplay. There are games, again, that are more focused on the laning and kind of the towers themselves don't really interact with the enemies outside of shooting them, nuking them, slowing them, things like that. And then you have tower defense games that allow for more of that kind of impact. And Dungeon Warfare is a really solid example of this. Like, there are maps where you get, like, a pushing tower, pushing trap that can just, like, knock a whole group of enemies into a water, killing them. And with Dwarf, I guess... How far did you guys want to go in terms of like that kind of tactile or tactical play? Every biome is going to have is going to have pits, so we mm-hmm. want to make sure that if someone um, is paying attention to the layout, they're able to notice that there that there will be sweet spots that they can take advantage of to use the environment to help them succeed. For example, knocking enemies into a pit, or they'll notice water, and we might have enemies that fly over water or enemies that have to go around water. So there's definitely, uh, you can definitely observe the environment and try to figure out how you can use it to your advantage. And we have towers to allow for that kind of uh, gameplay. Yeah, and in general, a lot of our turrets and traps are inspired by Dungeon Warfare's turrets and traps. Um, And... uh, well, it's just kind of speaking uh, on that kind of tactile. One of my favorite traps that they have in Dungeon Warfare is I think it's called the har- it's like a harpoon trap or something. But if you have two of them on opposite sides of a lane, <laughs> they'll both shoot at an enemy at the same time and then rip the enemy apart. I remember when I first saw that, I was like, whoa, this <laughs> game is amazing. Like, did that just happen? Like, you don't see that in tower defense games. So mm-hmm. it was really cool to see that sort of uh, visual, you know, action like in the gameplay. It really caught me off guard. and I was like, it felt really good to see that happen for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's always been one of the things about uh, some of the more popular tower defense games. They can feel very... I don't know if I want to say the word bland, but they lose that sense of impact. And I remember playing stuff like Defense Grid, and, you know, I grew up playing tower defense mods from Warcraft 3. And it's always been like, you know, you just see the arrow hit the guy, and, you know, you'll see, like, a little bit of health drop. And it's very rare to see that, again, like, that sense of, you know, impact. I remember, like, in Dungeon Warfare, you like, drop, like, a boulder trap, or you, like, hit the trap and just, like, sends a boulder down and just wipes out like every pie on it immediately. We have a, we have a stat, which is called knockback and different enemies to have different weights. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's something that most people might not notice, but for example, our, um, punch tower, punch turret, sorry. It, it, it'll knock back heavy enemies, um, a little bit less than small enemies. Mm-hmm. And also things like, uh, the mortar tower, the mortar will knock enemies away from where the where the bomb explodes, which could also send enemies in an unexpected directions. But it adds a little bit of that dynamic feel to it, and it's rewarding because you see the impact of some of these um, some of these uh, turrets. And in, in addition to like the the physical aspect of it, you know, like the knockback and whatnot, we also just wanted our 
our turrets just look really cool. So, for example, two of, I think, the most visually kind of pleasing ones uh, to look at are the Tesla turrets. So just watching the lightning chain from enemy enemy to enemy, making like kind of zigzag line just looks so cool. Um, So, yes, tactically, it's fun because you can, you know, it can wrap around corners where the tower might not have a line of sight. But it's just really cool to watch the lightning extend very quickly and kind of zigzag to enemies. And then my other favorite one is probably like the sunray turret so it's like this big like sunray laser beam that just shoots um and it, it just destroys at all enemies in its path so we really wanted our game to like like look and feel good from you know both like kind of the physics and the knockback and and stuff like that but also like just like particle effects and visually just look really pleasing Mm-hmm. Another Parbel Dwarf that I know still uh, stood out for me, especially for my fans watching, is the art. I guess, um, what kind of like thoughts or like how would you settle on the actual art and aesthetics of Dwarf? Originally, we had we had a couple of different art styles that we were talking about, and the one we really wanted to go with was a top down uh, sort of art style. But we had to really make a tough decision, and that was. Um, the style that we went with required a lot more work because we had to draw every single enemy walking every single direction. <laughs> and I think it's like 40-something sprites per enemy. We're at 50 is, now. <laughs> yeah, we're like 50. It's extremely painstaking, but I'm glad we kind of decided to go that route because um, if we didn't do that, it, the game would be missing sort of just a, a, a level of polish, a level of... Um, uh, fidelity and, and that I think really makes Dwarves stand out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one thing that makes our our pixel art style unique, so yes, it's pixel art and there's lots of pixel art games, but generally you don't see too many games with this level of detail in such a small, you know, pixel density, like, like such a small little area. So we use a 16 by 16 grid and you know, you know our sprites do extend that but in general um normally you'll see like you know 32 or 64 so we're using a, a very small uh pixel density and we're squeezing a bunch of detail in there and not only is it detail we have like a slightly top-down perspective so it's very hard to get in that perspective that detail in such a small amount of pixels um and, I th- and, and it's like peter said it's challenging and it takes a lot of time but we're very glad we did we did it because it you know we it looks great. We, we really love our art style. And a lot of people would be like, oh, I recognize this. Uh, you know, I'll post on Reddit or something and people are like, hey, I recognize this dwarf. I love your art style. So it really makes our game unique. And so it's something we pride ourselves in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know like from a few of my fans, they said they saw it from the YouTube channel Pixel Pete. And that's how they kind of first found the game. And again, being very impressed by that level of detail, the pixel art. Yeah, I started a YouTube channel to help uh, mainly promote Dwarf, but I want to <laughs> I want to give back to the community because mm-hmm. just talking about uh, Dwarf is um, I-, I like to call it selfish content, <laughs> and um, it's a lot harder to grow a fan base uh, if you create content like that. So we wanted to give back to the community and create fans that really appreciate what we do as um, as indie game developers. And um, so, yeah, I've been teaching um, people how to do pixel art, slowly ramping them up. I started very, very easy and it's slowly getting more and more complicated. And um, and and yeah, anyway, the 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 tutorials haven't quite gotten to the level that Dwarve is. Dwarve is Mm -hmm. um, is even challenging for for me to do. 
<laughs> yeah, and uh, we were talking about this before we started the recording, but at some point, if you guys are interested, we could certainly do a live cast, because I have several developers who are working in pixel art, and I'm sure they would just, like, bombard you with questions about uh, design, just the overall work that went into it. So, yeah, um, in general, uh, what's what's really cool, I think, about our, our team, because, like, like Peter and I are, are you know, we're, we're the the two, I guess, like main developers. Like we're working on it full time, but mm-hmm. we've actually worked with a handful of artists. And what a lot of, what, I think, what really makes our art of exceptional quality is that it's often a collaboration by by, by Peter along with other our other artists. So we work with Inche. In the past, we worked with Sun Sun Pixels, and it's it's kind of interesting how we work. It's like a back and forth. It's like like someone will do an initial kind of sketch or concept. And they pass it off to someone else, and then it goes back to this person, and you'll have you know two or three artists all kind of going back and forth, contributing ideas to a single you know turret or a single enemy. And I think that's what really, um, really helps us push our assets further uh, and really make them super polished and look really good. So yeah, I think, for, for example, yeah. I would draw the concept art for some of the characters, and then um, Sun Pixels would uh, push it much further and add his own style to it, which is the way that he draws those portraits. It's it's in a style that to me is just mind blowing. I, I love his style and it's it's not the way that I would have done it, but I appreciate the way he did it because honestly, I think he did a better <laughs> job at the portraits than I would have. <laughs> yeah, like the, when you have the cutscenes, you have kind of like the full character models on display, it almost reminds you of something like a, Nitty Hog, uh, when they in the sequel when they had like that more very like expressive, very like animated look to their characters, almost like a yeah. clay kind of aesthetic. Yeah, that's actually because our pixel density is so small, right? We can't get too much details, especially in the characters. Like you can't really see their accessories, their facial expressions. You know, the things that really imply who this character is. What are you know? What is their personality like? You can't really capture that. You know, in a sixteen by sixteen sprite. So. That's the whole reason we had these larger, detailed character portraits is so we can really, really show a character who they are, what they're like. Are they mean? Are they grumpy? Um, and capture those details that you can't get from the, the gameplay sprites. Um, yeah, so that, that's why they're so big. And, and uh, it like, you know, like our, our style in general, it was a lot more – a lot of extra work. But we're really glad we did it because we would think it really helps expand the world. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking about the world, one thing that I want to clarify for the people listening is that with Dwarf, like, this is not played, like, in a level-by-level or screen-by-screen format, as we see from traditional tower defense games. It is more that kind of, like, open nature to it. And uh, one question I have for you guys, like, from the demo, you are kind of, like, held pretty much to follow, like, the same path. Like, there wasn't really any deviation. With the full game, will it be more of an open-ended style, or is the player still going to be guided from kind of uh, area to area? We, so, we, love, we love to call it a tower defense dungeon crawler, so mm-hmm. that people know that you're not just going to be stuck on one screen. Um, that's all I wanted to add in, PJ. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, so so exactly. So our, our game is a dungeon crawler. So it's not like a traditional tower defense game where you kind of sit there and you see the whole level and you just add more towers to it. You're you're actually going through a level. You're progressing through the level. You're exploring. Um, so going on to the linearity that you were talking about. So right now, the demo is pretty linear. linear. We, we want to add some branching to our level progression. 
Now, it's not going to be entirely an open world like, you know, a lot of like the Zelda games are or Metroidvania. It, it is going to be mostly linear, but we do want to add some ability to kind of explore and kind of choose your own path um, so that it feels more open. One reason we decided against going fully open was mainly because of the gameplay. So mm-hmm. in a lot of a lot of Metroidvanias or, or Zelda, you, you, the action combat isn't really tedious. Um, you know, you, when you're going from one place to another, you can fight a couple of people along the way. It's a quick little fight, and mm-hmm. you, you get going. In Dwarf, uh, the strategy, the battles, they take a little bit longer. So if we added like filler content between between areas, and you're just kind of going back and forth, mm-hmm. we felt it would be pretty tedious. Yeah. So that's why that's why we kind of avoided that. Um, so I guess to, to go back to summarize the answer to your question, it's going to be mostly linear, but with some branching. Um, we we want it to feel like an open world without like actually making it an open world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there are a lot of players that are completionists, and they would hate to go down one path and not know what was oh, down yes. the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right here, raising raising my hand. <laughs> and we we definitely plan on hiding things though, uh, around around corners and stuff like that. So there will be an exploration aspect to it. We just don't we just want to avoid uh, the player having to backtrack way too much. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking about like moving around the world, one thing that I wanted to ask both of you is kind of about settling on the player's options. Again, like one thing that separates Dora from other tower defense games is that you are controlling an active character on the field. You are not the omnipotent, you know, you know, cursor from above and you just place towers down. For both of you, like, how did you settle on kind of how much utility did you want the character to have? From the demo, I saw that you, you get like two relics. You get the uh, dash boots, and you get a boomerang that kind of gives you just some basic defense or basic damage if the enemies aren't targeting a tower. Yeah, so this is one thing that we've actually thought about a lot, and we've actually uh, a lot of fans um, have talked to us, and they, they've expressed a varying kind of uh, sentiments about it. So we really wanted to focus on the strategy. Uh, of the game we wanted the player to focus on his turrets and traps but at the same time we wanted the player to give something to do uh to give the player something to do and a way to you know actively engage in the combat themselves so we decided to give dwarf a boomerang and we decided to make it automatic so it's, it's an auto attack dwarf himself is basically like a mobile tower and he will automatically attack nearby enemies so a lot of our players did say hey i i i, I want to throw it myself and we actually tested that and there was a couple of problems with it. Um, one, if we let the player get too much engaged into into combat, uh, what, what happens is that the players you, you kind of want to do more. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. I can I can do this. Well, I want a sword now, and if I want a sword, <laughs> I, I want a block now. And, and we, we really wanted to avoid having to lean into a full combat system because we didn't want to you know do a half baked combat system where it's like, okay, cool, you can attack, but it, you know it doesn't really feel good. Um, and we, we wanted to keep the focus on the strategy. Another thing is with the controls. We found that if, if you can do too many things, um, it was very, like, difficult to, mm-hmm. to, to, uh, to place towers and then also kind of aim and, and throw your boomerang. And it just felt overwhelming. So we decided to, that we want to give the player, um, abilities and we're, we're branding it has, they're called artifacts. So some of them will be passive. And some will be active. So mm-hmm. right now, the boomerang's passive. He kind of just th- throws it uh, at enemies automatically. But we do plan to add um, some periodic kind of attacks that you can use occasionally. So, for example, his hammer. 
Dwarf will be able to smash the ground, and he'll do AoE, knocking all enemies back. It's kind of like a, you know, last resort, let, let me save my butt while I, I can <laughs> dash out of here and get away to safety and kind of, you know, uh, reestablish myself. So we do want to add some stuff like that. And they're going to be, but they're going to be more treated as like special abilities that you're not constantly um, using. So we don't want the player to walk up and start, you know, smashing um, enemies with with his hammer because that would make it feel more like an action game, and then you would lose the focus away from the strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, what you just said there about kind of setting up like how the game pattern, how the UI works, that's always been one of those challenges about avoiding making the game feel very cumbersome or very button heavy, and. It's good that you guys have thought about that in terms of, you know, what actions will be automatic, what actions a player will have to do. And now one question from the demo, that in the demo, you get your four towers, they take up the four face bones on your controller, obviously. In the finished game, can the player swap out their traps and their towers, like, in combat? Or is it something that can only happen, you know, before they actually engage an enemy? We're definitely going to allow you to swap out the towers. But you're going to swap them out at what we're calling the workbench. Okay. That's also where you're going to um, uh, upgrade your uh, your your turrets and traps. And the reason we went with uh, four is because it fits the controller. From the very beginning, we've been very mindful of making sure that the game works uh, with both keyboard and controller. I'm one of those people that even if I play PC games, I usually plug in a controller. <laughs> and, and in the demo, at any point in time, you can plug in a PlayStation or an Xbox controller, and it'll just start working or unplug it. And um, so that's something that every like UI element that we add or any sort of functionality that we have in the game, we always want to make sure that it's, it has an ease of use with controllers. But yeah, you'll be able to swap out your uh, your turrets and traps. So if you you know try a strategy, strategy that doesn't work, you can go ahead and just swap them out and try something else. We definitely want it to be dynamic for uh, in every battle for you to be able to try different things. Mm-hmm. And in general, just to elaborate on that, um, experimentation is a big part of our game. So um, even in tower defense games, even in traditional tower defense games, you, you kind of play level and you kind of say, that, okay, well, these guys come here and they come here and you kind of learn a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the difficult levels, you probably might fail once or twice and then you'll kind of grasp and like, oh, I know what I need to do. And, and that's what really what Dwerve is about. It's about trying different strategies, different turrets and traps, um, and kind of experimenting until you kind of solve the battle. So I like to think about Dwerve almost as a kind of puzzle game. It's like mm-hmm. each battle is like a puzzle that you can kind of figure out, all right, which turrets and traps, where do I place them, when do I need to exchange them? Um, and, and, and part of getting to the solution is experimentation. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you guys brought that up in terms of kind of designing the game around experimentation, that kind of puzzle solving. Because that takes me to this next question. That, as you said, like, when it comes to tower defense gameplay, we kind of see, like, one of two different, like, overarching philosophies. You have kind of the more RPG side where it's about, okay, I need to get my towers and they need to be upgraded strong enough so that the tactic actually works. In those games, it's basically, you can have the perfect tactic down, but if your towers aren't level enough, or they're not doing enough damage to eat through the enemy's defenses, you're going to lose regardless. And then you have, again, like more of the tactical, more puzzle-like, where it comes down to, okay, I know that we have fast enemies coming from the northwest, I just set up some kind of slow field, I have flyers coming from the south, we need anti-air. In terms of designing the actual fights in Dwarf, what's kind of the overall philosophy to allow for that, Considering, again, that 
no matter what you build, you always know the player is going to have at most four different tools they can take into an actual encounter. Yeah, so uh, funny enough, yeah, designing battles is one of the more challenging <laughs> things we've encountered um, when building this game. We have designed battles over and over again like so many times. Um, like it, it, we, we have, even though the demo has like, I think like three or four levels, the like we've had multiple demos like before that in the past two years with each with three or four levels and like we completely like thrown them out and started over and even the battles you have now we have like test mapped with like five or six battles in each of these like little test maps and we kind of grab like the one or two or, or even a part of one that works and bring them into like the actual game levels so like it's the best way to answer that is experimentation. We just try stuff and we keep playing it over and over again. And then he'll play my battles and I'll play his battles and we'll have our friends play it and our testers play it. Um, and then, you know, they might find out, Oh, I can beat this by, by just placing these towers here. And it's like, Oh, that doesn't really require strategy. We, we let's fix it. So they, you know, they can't just cheese the battle. So, uh, we just, just keep building, experimenting and play testing over and over and over again. Um, but but going back to what you're saying about the two kind of types of tower defense games, because you have limited towers, mm-hmm. um, you can't just you know add more um, and and kind of just overpower the wave. You really need to use strategy. You know if you have um, certain type of enemy coming, you need to you know counter them with a specific kind of turret or archetype of turrets um, so that you can overcome them. You can't just kind of brute force dwarf. Dwarf is mm-hmm. like I said a strategy. I like to think of it like like I said a puzzle game, strategy kind of puzzle kind of game where you need to quote unquote solve it. Uh, that being said. Um, it does have action like you know kind of battle. So if you do get overwhelmed, you can dash out the way. You you can escape mm-hmm. um, and reposition yourself. So if you prefer to play it more actiony, where you know you don't really care too much about setting up your turrets in the perfect way, but it's like good enough, and then you kind of dash through and retreat and re kind of build your defenses. That's also a very plausible um, way to play. Um, so we really want to keep it also very open um, to how the player solves each battle. Mm-hmm. We're sure that people will have their favorite set of um, of turrets and traps, but we don't want them to be able to just play the entire game without ever switching those. So we, we do design battles to cater to different um, turrets and traps. And if a player has the wrong ones, we don't want them to beat it. We want them to go and change them out. So we don't want the game to be too easy so that any sort of combination works. We really want the player to think about what is a good combination for that specific scenario. Mm-hmm. And to clarify for people listening, that while you can only take four different types of tools into an encounter, you can have multiple copies of them based on the power stones or the actual kind of like resource or fuel you use. Right. So you could have you could have four different types of towers, but you could place down all of the same one <laughs> if you really wanted to. <laughs> yeah, so just to elaborate on how the the power stones work, actually, that's a really good point. So in most tower defense games, you kill enemies, you get some sort of currency, and then you just yeah. build or upgrade turrets. So Dwerve is very, very different. So we do have a currency, and you do upgrade your your turrets, but that's more of like a meta. It's like, you know, your turrets just you slowly make them stronger over time. But in the core gameplay, you have power stones. Now, power stones are basically, you think of them almost like batteries, kind of. You know, they power the turrets. Um, and... D- Turrets generally require two power stones, and traps require one. So you can place more floor traps than you can uh, turrets. But generally, what what you want to do is you you use your power stones to kind of place a certain amount of turrets. So let's say you have six power stones. You can place three turrets. 
And then as the waves change, you'll need to recall one or more of those so that you can you know, either move it to a more strategic location or swap it out with an entirely different turret. So it's basically you have a fixed number of turrets and you're, you're swapping them out and moving them around as the battle changes. Mm-hmm. And like that feel, I think, gives Dwarf a like different sense of pacing compared to tower defense games. Because again, like everyone here, I'm sure the people watching, we know how static a tower defense game is. It's again more focused on that puzzle aspect. But with something like Dwarf, that you're able to move around, you're able, you have to reposition in a lot of cases because one tower is not going to be able to do the job for an entire encounter. And one thing that I did like about it is that when you lose a tower, you can put it back up almost immediately. You know, the second that power stone comes back into your inventory, there's no cooldowns, there's no delays or anything like that. Yeah, so we, we actually, the, the quote-unquote like delays, really just like the animation of the power stones popping up. So it, it feels instant. That's what's nice about it. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past, we actually had it like return kind of instantly. Um, and you could like build and replace turns like instantly uh, literally instantly and um, of course that was overpowered but we also didn't want uh, like a too long of a cooldown because it would feel slow it's like you know dwarf is almost like an action game like you want to get back into action right away as soon as a turret falls or if you need to reposition it you need to do you need to do that quickly sometimes um so we have like it's like a split second where the power stone pops up from the turret it's like a little bounce and then it comes back to you so it feels very natural it looks nice but it also um, happens quickly but not too quickly where you can take advantage of that um and, and yeah i think that's what makes dwarf really interesting and, and going back to what you're saying um the pacing so you might have enemies coming from one direction and you're kind of focused on that and all of a sudden they're coming from behind you and you need to quickly pick those mm-hmm. turrets up and move them over there and, and build them on the other side um and uh, another aspect uh that we have that kind of adds to the element Destructible environment. So it's a li- you see it a little bit in the demo. But uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Battle, uh, oh, my uh, headset kind of cut out there. If you will, you mind just like repeating the sentence. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, no problem. All so right. another as- so another aspect that mm-hmm. makes the battles interesting is we have destructible environments. So so during a battle, a wall can collapse. So you you don't actually. Uh, let me reword that. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna start over. Okay. Yeah. You, yeah. Sorry. No problem. Another aspect that makes the battles interesting is the destruction. Uh, destruction. So in the middle of a battle, a wall might collapse. And all of a mm-hmm. sudden, a path that was blocked and you thought you were safe is now open and enemies can kind of come behind you. So one thing that's uh, important is kind of catching the player off guard and having them uh, you know, adapt um, and, and react to kind of surprises. And like, oh, no, I thought I was safe here. All of a sudden, these walls collapse, and now I'm vulnerable. So I need to quickly, you know, rearrange my, my, my turrets and reposition them so that I can, you know, defend myself before the wave reaches me. All right, sounds great. So I know that we're going to – we have to keep this relatively short because I know you guys are busy. So in terms – I just have a few more general gameplay questions for you. And one thing that I have to ask, have, are there any kind of, like guess, quote-unquote, boss fights that you have planned for dwarf yes okay so the demo doesn't have any um (laughs) but we do have big boss plans so um you get a little more of that when the kickstarter launches so if it's already live when when this uh when this podcast is is live you can go check out the page and see but we do want to have really unique boss battles um so it's not going to be like oh just an enemy that's really large and walks towards you we want to (laughs) feel really unique um so 
So it uh, kind of like in the Binding of Isaac, I think that's that's a really good example of like what we want. So in Binding of Isaac, you're not just fighting like a big enemy or something. Like you know, you might be fighting a foot or uh, you know <laughs> arms. So we want to do crazy stuff like that. We we haven't really um, we haven't really committed to any ideas yet. Uh, we we haven't really started developing them, but we kind of just started kind of um, writing stuff down and kind of thinking about them. But we definitely want to have really fun, interesting uh, boss battles that kind of just blow the player away. It's like, whoa, where did this guy come from? <laughs> he was throwing giant boulders at me, or you know, wow, he's huge. So we yeah, really we think want... it's going to be one of the coolest things people have ever done in a tower defense <laughs> game. Dwarf is is really a genre mashup that for a lot of people. It's going to be the first time they experience something like this. It is a, it is a bit of a risk that we took trying to create something that is a unique experience. But I think a lot of people are going to enjoy it. And it is that unique factor that Dwarf has. It is it is that mm-hmm. word of mouth thing that's worth sharing with other people. Because it's an experience that you don't really get in other games. And mm-hmm. the boss fights, yeah, they're going to be very interesting. We yeah. might even make some of them a bit puzzly. Yeah, just to elaborate on that more, our previous game, uh, Black Sea Odyssey, like... We had massive boss battles. There was one boss that was like seven screen sizes. Um, now we're not we're not going to do that for dwarf. But the point is, we love boss battles. We love doing big, crazy things with boss battles, and we're definitely going to have those in dwarf. Great. I'm trying to think if there's anything else gameplay wise. I guess uh, for you guys, anything regarding the gameplay or design of dwarf that we didn't touch on yet that you want to bring up now. I think the only other thing that that's really important to the game is the story. So we Dwerve is a story driven game. I was going to bring up the same thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So we we want the world to be rich in characters and lore, and you meet people, and there's lots of dialogues, and they send you on like little quests. Quests aren't a big part of the game, but you know, like we like each level kind of will have its own objectives like a specific purpose or a goal that you're you're trying to accomplish within that level. Mm-hmm. Um so we also want to like some you know some of it will be mandatory you, the quest will kind of guide the progression of the story. But we also want to have like extra stuff for people that really want to learn more about the world, more about the characters. Um we we want to add the ability to inspect stuff so you just kind of inspect like like little you know runes or old books and kind of just Get a little bit of lore here and there and learn more about the world, the, the history of the dwarves and the trolls and, and the world, uh, the different locations that you're going. So uh, the story and the, the world are a really big part of the game as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll be able to go on an awesome RPG adventure in this tower defense game, which is, <laughs> which is unique too. <laughs> Great. And let me see, there's anything else gameplay-wise? I think we've touched on everything. Again, for the people listening to us right now... Is the demo of Dwarf like available like publicly at the moment? Not not during the time of this recording, but it will be during the Kickstarter. Okay. So yeah, we're, we have a big we're gonna have a big button on the Kickstarter page, but if not, you can just go straight to the Steam page. The demo will be available to the public during the Kickstarter page. Uh, sorry, during the Kickstarter on the Steam page. So yeah, anyone can try out the game. Um, and of course, if you like it, you can uh, support us in Kickstarter um, and, and really make sure that that not only does the game get finished, but we can bring it to as many languages and platforms and really make the game that we want to make. All right. And uh, one question that a few of my developer friends are also curious about is having the demo itself for Dwarf. And they're just curious, again, like, for people listening, we've seen kind of this drop-off and then resurgence of demos and prologues. And one thing they're always curious about is, how has the demo been received for you guys? Has it been really helping out in terms of marketing or getting people excited about the game? 
Yes. Now, from a developer standpoint, demos are very, very tricky. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the best way to kind of – it, it varies from game to game. Um, but I think the best way to kind of summarize whether or not demos are helpful or not is basically how far along you are in development. So for us, when we first you know, made the demo public during the Steam Games Festival, we had been working on the game for, like Peter said, almost two and a, uh, almost two and a half years. So the game was, you know, very polished, very far along, and it really embodied what the final game is going to be like. Now, on the flip side, if you make your demo public too early, people may think, oh, this game is of low quality, mm-hmm. it's not fun, it's not buggy, it needs more content, it needs more features. So it can hurt, you know, your marketing, especially if you're doing Kickstarter, if your demo is not, you know, dev- like far enough along in development. Um, thankfully for us, uh, we, we've been developing for a l- very long time, and like we, we wanted to make sure that we had a very, very polished and solid demo before we even started thinking about the Kickstarter. Um, so mm-hmm. so that was a, a, pro- a priority for us. Yeah, honestly, there's an aspect of honesty with that to our fans as well. Um, it, every single person that's going to play our game would love to play a demo because they want to know what they're in store for. So we do, uh, we do think that um, out of respect for our fans to make sure they know what they're getting, especially with something as experimental as Dwarf, where it's not your typical game. You can't, com- you can't uh, create comparisons to it very easily. A demo really lets a person know whether it's something that they would enjoy, whether it's something that they're interested in. So we do think that it, 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 there's a whole honesty aspect to it that fans really appreciate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and as you guys said, like it's hard to do a really solid demo for those very reasons. You do it too early, it comes off looking like you know your game is lesser quality. You do it too late, then it's it's not going to be able to get people excited about the game. Yeah, that that's that's very true. I, I think in, in general, for like you were talking, you were talking about your developer friends. The best advice I can give would be, you know, test it behind the scenes with you know your most hardcore fans people that are in your discord server every day chatting you chatting with you asking about the game you know make sure they like it make sure make sure that you're you're catering to your audience make sure it's fun and polished and bug free and then you know bring it out to to a wider audience uh, like peter said so to make sure you know hey guys this is what we're building you know there, there's no um, ambiguity there's no confusion like this is our game um and for dwarf specifically like peter said our game's different so it's nice to give that um, to, to uh, chance people to try the game before they back the project or, or purchase the game because they don't know exactly what it is. Yeah, the easiest way to explain it is to give someone a controller. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I think with that, uh, I do want to spend a few minutes talking about the actual Kickstarter for people listening, and that will take us to the end for our cast tonight. So uh, to begin with, uh, for the people listening to the cast, uh, we're going to shoot this a go about the week of the Kickstarter. I guess, are you going for a 30 or 30, 45, or 60-day campaign? We are doing a 30-day campaign, Okay, and it launches on August 25th. So um, I'm not sure if we're, we're going to uh, publish this podcast before or after, but August 25th, the campaign mm-hmm. will be live. The demo will be live, so you can go try out try out the game and then back the project if it's a game for you. Right. And um, yeah, <laughs> and uh, one question I always like to ask developers when they go to Kickstarter like this: How long have you guys been actually developing the plan for going on Kickstarter? <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> um, like honestly, like a year. So mm-hmm. a, a year ago, around this time, we were like, "All right, we want to have a really successful Kickstarter. What do we need?" And we decided one: we need a polished demo that really captured the gameplay. 
but also that we needed to show variety. So, you know, multiple biomes, more enemies, more turrets and traps. Um, and with that, we can make a, a really polished demo, but also a trailer that showed more, you know, of, of, of the, like really what the game's going to entail. So we focused uh, the next, you know, eight to ten months developing content um, for that. So polishing the game and also adding more turrets, more traps, more biomes, more enemies. Um, that way we, we, we can show both of those. And then once once we kind of got to that part in development, we began to shift our attention to actual like like preparation. So making the trailer, um, you know, doing research on how to even launch a Kickstarter. How do you make your page look nice? How do you, you know, mm-hmm. pitch your game to people and, and tell them about it and get them excited about it? Um, and one thing we've been doing is, you know, building a community. That's one of the most important things of launching Kickstarter campaign. So we've been posting regularly on Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, um, and we have our Discord server, and, and we try and get as many people to join our Discord server because that's really where you really get to interact with fans. You get to talk mm-hmm. directly with them um, and, and hear their thoughts and, and communicate directly with them. And that's that's really you know having that personal communication is very important to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and spending that long on a Kickstarter. I know for some people listening, they may think that sounds a little extreme, but it is very important to get everything set up when you're going to Kickstarter like this. Right. As an as a indie, you have a couple options. You have the option to go with a publisher or to go with crowdfunding. And we decided uh, we're, we're weighing both options and we're sure that we're going to have you know publishers contact us once the Kickstarter is live. But we didn't just exclusively create things for um, Kickstarter during that entire time period, a lot of it was just reprioritizing things that we could use for a Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And with the Kickstarter itself, again, for people listening, the cash should be going right around the time. So I've had a chance to look at, but are you planning on having any kind of like special promotions, unique content, you know, a special rewards for people to pledge to? Yes. So if you back in the first 48 hours, we actually made a little spinoff game and it's actually a classic tower defense game. <laughs> so it's, uh, we're calling it Dwerve Classic Tower Defense. So, um, it, you have your little level. You're not dungeon crawling. You're not exploring and waves enemies come and you build turrets and traps, um, you know, al- uh, alongside a path where the enemies kind of maze. So it's a little more, it's a generic little spinoff game. Fordwerve, and that's going to be uh, an, an early backup reward. So we, uh, Kickstarter is a momentum-based platform. So mm-hmm. to encourage people to you know back the project early on, we're like, hey, let's give them something really rewarding, really fun um, that they can you know get bef- before the game releases. So, so they can get this after the Kickstarter. They don't need to wait you know until the final game releases. So we thought that was a, a really get, great incentive. Um, and in general, we just have a lot of really awesome rewards. Um, we, we looked at other Kickstarters, and we also thought from our own perspective, hey, what are really cool rewards that we would like? Um, and, and we were thinking about, you know, oh, we have a story-based game. Let's make an art and lore book. So people like our art. We mm-hmm. have a story-based game with a lot of lore. So let's combine that into one really cool book. Um, we also have, you know, shirts and posters, stuff like that. Um, so we do have a lot of very cool rewards. Um, oh, actually, one of the one coolest. One of the characters is a hoodie. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we made a, a hoodie uh, based off one of our characters. And we also, our game's inspired by SNES graphics. And, you know, like, again, A Link to the Past is a huge inspiration. So we made a uh, collector's edition of the game with a decorative SNES cartridge. So it doesn't function, but it looks really cool. It comes <laughs> in this nice box. And it's like an actual cartridge um, with our with Dwerve branding. So it looks awesome. Um, so we have lots of cool stuff that backers can get um, by, by, you know, pledging on Kickstarter. 
Nice. And with the Kickstarter itself, any ideas or have you or do you have any stretch goals or things you would like to add to Dwarf that you're hoping to get funding for? We might want to keep some of those uh, <laughs> uh, secretive and sort of surprise people. I don't know which ones we want to disclose, BJ. Yeah, well, I, let's talk about the uh, – they're, they're, our first priority is getting the game to as many people as possible. So I'll talk about the, the kind of more uh, generic ones, I guess. Like, um, so localization and console ports. So we really want to bring this – this game to as many people as possible in their native language so they can appreciate the story and being a story driven game if you're playing the game and you don't know what people are saying it's not it's not as fun um so localization is a priority for us and a stretch goal and also console ports so a lot of people prefer to play on you know nintendo switch or playstation so uh we're, we're prioritizing those in the stretch goals now like peter said there are some juicy ones which we're kind of we kind of want to hold back on those um to make sure we can you know they're within reason before we get people excited about them mm-hmm. um but yeah we, we do have some fun stuff planned right and I guess with that, oh, uh, for the people listening, again, regarding the demo and being available on Kickstarter, is the demo for the Kickstarter any different or has anything unique to it compared to the demo that was on the Steam Summer Festival? Honestly, a lot of... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead, Peter. Yeah, yeah. We're constantly improving that demo up until the day, uh, up until we're really close to launch because we want to make it as good as possible. So we took a ton of feedback from people playing that demo and we're going to use that feedback to tweak it and improve it. But we don't want to get to a point where we're changing it to the point where it's not even the same thing. Yeah. So a lot of our focus really has been on, on polish and bug fixes. Um, because we've been having you know put a lot of effort into you know making the Kickstarter page, making the trailer, um, re- really really preparing for the Kickstarter. In terms of development, we've really been focusing more on polish, you know, fixing bugs that people found during the same game festival, or fixing just kind of weird issues, things that didn't feel quite right. Um, so we've been focusing more on polish than adding more content. Um, that that being said. Uh, we, we might add a little bit of extra things during the campaign, but you know that that, that kind of depends on on our time and how much uh, time we can spend on develop and not the Kickstarter. So we'll, we'll kind of see on that in that regard. All right. And is there any aspects of the Kickstarter campaign or promoting or anything that we missed talking about Dwarf that you guys want to mention before we start to wrap things up? Think we missed anything? I guess I'll just reemphasize that oh, the camp. I, oh. I got one. Mm-hmm. So. There's a reward program, and we... Oh, wait, we, don't we, talk about that yet. That's a secret. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that one later. But um, <laughs> uh, the, the, the the Kickstarter... Actually, I guess we can talk about it, because this, this might... I, let's talk about it. So, Kickstarter's uh, probably going to be live. Yeah, exactly. So so the, the Kickstarter launches on August 25th, and the first 40 hours, uh, like I said earlier, you have the early backer reward of Dwarf Classic TD. But later on, uh, about a couple days after the campaign launches, we're going to have a backer referral system. And how it's basically going to work is you'll refer friends to the project, and you'll get kind of – I don't know what we're going to call them. Yeah, I guess referral points or something. And you can spend those on add-ons. So if you refer friends, you might be able to get like you know a poster or you know the, the official soundtrack of the game and extra rewards without you know paying actually additional money or backing more, but simply by referring friends. So um, that, that's a pretty neat thing that our backers can take advantage of. Mm-hmm. Great. So I think with that, uh, just to end the cast, there's a few just general questions, and then I'll let you guys go for tonight. So uh, 
as we said, with the Kickstarter probably going on at the time this cast is going up, do you guys have an estimated date for when Dwarf will be released? You know, fingers crossed you're able to get your Kickstarter goal. Maybe you'll hit it by the time this cast goes up. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're aiming for next year during summer so summer 2021 um we don't you know we don't want to get too specific on that because you know how game development is Um, it's very unpredictable but we're we're aiming for next next summer which isn't too far off there's a lot of kickstarter games that have dates way way further out but what we've done with dwarf is Mm -hmm. we have programmed all of the functionality that we need and after the kickstarter we really just need to build out content Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that's actually a really good point. So in, the state of the game is like really far al- along from a technical standpoint. Like all all the core gameplay systems are, are built. Yeah, um, the towers are working. The enemies are working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and mo- in terms of content too, most uh, most of the towers are done, and most of the, uh, a good portion of the enemies are done. Um, so a lot of our focus is really gonna be level design. You know, fleshing out the the levels, the areas, um, building battles, adding story quests you know the dialogue the NBC dialogues so really just focusing on building the actual game content um so we're really far uh, along in development so that's why uh it's not like you know a lot of kickstarter you see you know a year or two sometimes three out that's uh we kind of did a lot of that work earlier before the kickstarter um so that uh you know our audience wouldn't need to wait so long yeah, we were contemplating launching Kickstarter a lot sooner. We thought it'd be better if we waited because it'd have a much bigger wow factor. Yeah. And going along with the demo itself, people can see that you guys have the core gameplay loop down. It's not a case of you going to Kickstarter and still trying to figure out what you want your game to be. Right. It's you have your you have what you want your game to be. Now it's just adding everything that you want in it. Yeah, exactly. Um, we approach the demo from like a vertical slice standpoint. Mm-hmm. And for people that aren't technical, a vertical slice is like a highly polished portion of a game that is representative of the final product. So like the the, the first couple levels that you play in demo are the actual first couple levels in the game. Like they are mm-hmm. like 95% what the final game's first couple levels are going to play a like. Way, a good way to think of a vertical slice is a slice of cake. A <laughs> slice of cake is is what the rest of the cake is like but it's only a slice of the cake exactly that's exactly so our, our demo is like very very representative of what the final game is going to be like awesome and again everyone loves cake right <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> all right so with that we are about at the end of this cast it's been great talking to you this afternoon so uh to end things on we already mentioned of course hopefully the release date sometime next year for people listening, any social media links you would like to plug now? And for those of you listening, there will be links to the Kickstarter and to Twitter down below as well. Yeah, so it's Half Human Games on pretty much everything. So Facebook.com slash Half Human Games. Our Twitter handles Half Human Games. Um, uh, YouTube, Half Human Games. Subreddit, Half Human Games. Um, Discord, it's, I think it's Discord.gg slash Half Human Games. So uh, if you search for Half Human Games on pretty much any social media platform, um, oh, even Instagram, uh, you should be able to find us. Oh, here's a good one. Dwerve.com. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we shouldn't forget our main website. Yeah. <laughs> Dwerve.com. So, that, yeah, that's our main website. All right. And do you guys have anything you want to say to the fans or any final thoughts on Dwerve before I let you go for today? Please support us. We need your help as indie developers. We are screwed. We quit our jobs. (laughs) (laughs) I'm guilt tripping you into supporting. (laughs) 
but now really we, we we're gonna we appreciate our fans and it's it's an amazing process all right so uh with that said it has been a pleasure talking with both of you this afternoon definitely best of luck with dwarf like i said at the start we played the demo on stream i really enjoyed it and definitely uh, giving you guys thumbs up and you know fingers crossed that you'll hit your goal Thanks so much, Josh. I Thank we you. appreciate you hanging out with us and chatting about Dwarf with us. We we really appreciate it. All right. And if you guys are free at some point, either after or during the Kickstarter, we can always do a follow up, maybe doing it live. And I'm sure again that you guys will be bombarded with pixel art related questions from my <laughs> audience. <laughs> All right. Yeah. That sounds that sounds great. All right. So for those of you listening, we're going to wrap things up for this cast. Be sure to check out the Dwarf Kickstarter. There'll be links to it down below. Hopefully I'll have my impressions of the demo up around the same time. If they are, there'll be links to it as well. If you are a developer working on an upcoming game or just want to talk game design or game development with me, we are always looking for guests for these live recorded casts. So please get in touch. You can follow me on Twitter at GW Bicer, as well as patreon.com slash GW Bicer. Any support would be greatly appreciated. And of course, be sure to join our Discord channel where we hang out and discuss all matter of game design topics. That is going to do it for this week's Perceptive Podcast. Tune in next time for another discussion about the art and design of video games. Until next time, take care.